See if you can relate to this experience. When I grew up, one of the most dreaded things of grade school was to hear someone in your class had a case of head lice. Would you agree with that? Even saying the words, even writing it down makes me want to scratch and just itch, you know, somewhere. It didn't happen a lot, but it was inevitable. Um, someone would go visit their cousin or travel someplace like Tennessee, I don't know. <laughs> Pastor Alex's not here, so I can pick on him. And they'd come back with this, this case of these little parasites. And while it was humiliating for, for a third grader or whatever grade you were in, there's a dread a hundredfold if you were a parent. Uh, and it actually took place. In my day, I don't know if they would still do it today, but they would actually send a letter home with, to all the kids in, informing them that, that a case had been confirmed and, and then it was let the inspection begin. You know, for the next two weeks, you'd get your head checked with a flashlight multiple times a day. And if there was even a trace of possibility of anything that showed up, you know, you'd, get, you'd, you'd have to get your head washed with this stinky chemical and then get a comb run through every strand of your hair, and, and then you'd repeat that in, in seven days. Not only that, uh, all your clothes had to be washed, uh, what you wore, anything you touched, uh, all of your bedding had to be cleaned, mattress pad to pillow shams, <laughs> even the furniture that you sat on had to be had to be sprayed. No wonder moms dreaded it even more than kids. Well, imagine that there's not one case in a small grade school, but everyone in an entire nation was not just, didn't just have a little case, but was infested with lice. There's so many that it looks like dirt on their, on their hair and their skin, animals too. I know that's gross, but that's, that's exactly what you have going on in Exodus chapter 8. When you looked at your spouse, you could see them crawling around. Ugh. That's right. Your dog, your couch, your dinner, even your bedding was covered with little things, Okay. And if that wasn't bad, these little things can only survive up from you. Uh, not a very pleasant thought to go to sleep with. If the frogs of the last plague were humorous, there's nothing funny about lice. And yet that's what's happening in Egypt because of Pharaoh's refusal to, to yield to God. The last time... We saw what happens whenever you attempt to bargain or negotiate with, uh, with the Lord. Um, after confrontation comes consequences, and, and Pharaoh, they pile up and they, they take their toll, and Pharaoh finally finds himself standing in the need of prayer. And he comes to the place where he, he knows he needs God's power. He, he has no desire for a relationship with him, but he knows that Moses and Aaron do have a relationship with him, so he asks uh, for them to pray. Now, Pharaoh would have done much better if he would have prayed and asked God to take away his sins rather than his frogs, right? But that's not what he does. Pharaoh wasn't interested in, in any type of acknowledgement of who God was or relationship with Him. He just wanted the difficulty to stop. And, and as we saw last time, the moment 
that there was a respite, the moment there was a break or any type of breathing room, he hardened his heart and went back on, on his, his promise. And now we're going to see, without warning and without announcement, the third plague will, will, will fall. Let's read Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 through 19, and see what God wants us to learn from this third plague in in Egypt. Exodus chapter 8, if you're not already there, we'll begin reading in verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod or your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats or lice through all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were lice on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became lice through, through all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth lice, but they were, were unable to do so. So there were lice on man and beast. Are you picking up a repetition there? Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now one of the first things I notice whenever I I come to this plague in this passage that you probably do too is it's very, very brief. The section is, is short. There are only four verses. There's no build-up whatsoever. There's no dialogue with Pharaoh. You remember? I mean, there's like this repetition before. God tells Moses and Aaron, this is what you do, this is what I'm going to do. Then you have that section where Moses and Aaron did exactly what God commanded. And then you have the presentation to, to Pharaoh and then the plague and... And there's none of that here. I mean, there's just four verses. There's not a lot of detail. And it's in order to draw our attention to one thing. And that's found in verse 19. It's the statement of the magicians. Verse, look at verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. That's exactly what Moses wants us to get. Where he wants our eyes to fall. As we read these four verses, this is where Moses wants us to major. That's the theme of this, of this plague, of this, of this passage. This plague, these acts, lead the religious leaders of Egypt to acknowledge that they are truly supernatural works. It's the handiwork of God. It's the finger of, of God. It's a, it's a way to describe something that, that God has done and and acknowledge that he's the one who, who's, who's done it. They used tricks in order to reproduce or to counterfeit what took place before, but here they know and they acknowledge and they quickly tell Pharaoh something altogether different is, is going on with this plague. C.S. Lewis, great writer, Bad theology in there in a few places, but, but he had a way with words. And he once said, We can ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. You can ignore pleasure, but pain 
insists upon being attended to. And you've probably heard this part of the quote. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Lewis says difficulty or pain can be God's megaphone to rouse a a deaf world, a, a world that's not listening to them, an individual that's not listening to Him. And, and you can see that, that God has more than one way to get our attention. You could probably testify to that in your own life, in your own salvation. And even when people turn a deaf ear to His words, God will declare Himself through His works. He's never without a witness, ever. And that's what you're going to see in this plague. So here is the theme, the witness of the works of God. And I think there are two sections or two points that, that, that God makes in these, these four verses. The witness of the works of God. The theme verse, this is the finger of God. Talking about the works of God. It's something that God did and it was attributed to God. And you're going to see that it, it came without warning. I think Moses wants us to, to note that. And it also comes with a message. Let's look at it came without warning. Look, if you would, at verse 15. Back up to verse 15. It says, But when Pharaoh saw there was, no, there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, we're not to miss what's left out of the passage. There's a warning that's left out of the passage. There is typically an instruction, go to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh this is what's going to happen if you don't do this, but that's absent. It's a good thing whenever, whenever God speaks to us. It's a good thing even whenever it's to condemn our thoughts or our actions or to confront. Because when God grows silent, at times it means He's ceased from appealing and He's moved to action. I mean, we don't like it even as believers whenever God seems silent, right? I mean, when you pray and you read the Bible and it feels drab or dull, now there's all kinds of reasons for a believer why, why that could happen. Obviously, it could be sin. It could also be because of any number of other things. And as a Christian, you should always remember, God hasn't moved. There may be a cloud that has come and, and obscured your view of God, and you feel that way, but the Lord is still there. He still loves you. He's still committed to you. He's still on the throne. You're still perfect in Christ. Nothing has changed for, for a Christian. But we're not dealing with Christians here. We're not dealing with believers. And so here, when unbelievers refuse to hear the words of God, at times he ceases appealing and moves to acting. And there's a witness even in that in those works. And they can come without announcement. God simply instructs Moses here, bring a plague. Look at the extent of it in verse... 16, the dust will become lice, or as some of your translations will say, gnats. And I'll explain why 
that is in a moment. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became lice. You're going to find different translations calling the plague gnats. Some commentators even say mosquitoes. And the reason that, that, that they're uncertain is because of the word that's, that's used. The, the word that's used in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew, means, means lice. It's not used in the Bible a whole lot. Um, that's why it's translated that way. And I think that's the appropriate translation. My personal opinion, I can't be dogmatic about that. Other versions say gnats or mosquitoes because the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, uses the Greek word specifically for gnats. That's why you have it. You have it there. The point is not what the bugs were, but the massive extent of the plague and how they wreaked havoc. Now, to me, it totally makes sense. Besides that evidence of, of, uh, of modern Hebrew using that word, word for lice, lice is just a whole lot more icky to me than gnats. I mean, gnats are bothersome, but lice are way more than, than bothersome. The point, though, when I pointed out to you the repetition, is the, is the massive extent of the plague. Look at this, look at this repetition. Um, verse 16, Stretch out your staff, Strike the dust of the earth, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there was lice on man and beast. I mean, the repetition is there to, to emphasize the extent. I mean, this, this just means the whole land was covered with them. People were covered with them. The, the, the earth was covered with them. The animals were covered with them. When it says that every speck of dust became a bug, it just simply means that they were everywhere. The, uh, Moses uses the same, the same word, dust, in a similar way in the book of Genesis. He promised to make Abraham's... Uh, Abraham into a great nation, and his descent, he said, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, or the sand of the sea. It just, just means that you'd have more offspring than you can count. There's The same is true with the insects here. I mean, the sheer number of them is just overwhelming. Did you know that God's Word, the Bible, is the world's best-selling book of all time? Bar, bar none. There are more copies in print worldwide than, than any other book ever written. Nothing even comes close. And while that is true, and you probably have five copies, ten copies, who knows how many copies of, of God's Word that you have. While that is true, the bestseller of all times, more books, more Bibles than any other book, there are still places on the planet that has no Bible in their language. According to the Joshua Project, 42.1% of the world is unreached. Unreached just simply means there's, there's no ongoing gospel witness sufficient to evangelize them. There's no indigenous believers there. there. There's no church there. There's no gospel fountain there. There's no Bible there. There's, there's, there's nothing that, that, that would allow the gospel to the words of God to go forth in, 
in that place. That same statistic, 42.1%, there's 4,075 unreached people groups. If you include different people groups from different countries, if you understand that there's the same people group in, in two or three different countries, that number goes up. Regardless, here I think is is the most significant figure. That equates to over 3 billion people in the world. And as Woody would tell us, a bunch of them are in China, right? These people have no witness from God's Word, which is why we have to send people. We have to train people to take the Gospel to them. While that's true of the words of God, that's not true of the works of God. You know that? There are no, There is no people group on the planet unreached by God's works. All kinds of them unreached by God's Word, but not a single person on the planet unreached by God's works. Every person in every country, every corner of the planet has witnessed the works of God. David says in Psalm 19, that very thing, the heavens declare the glory of, of God. Even the illustrations that he uses there. says it's that the witness of God is like the sun and, and nothing is hidden from its heat. He doesn't even use light there. It's, it's universal. It's, it's unlimited. The obvious problem with that is the works of God, the witness of the works of God, creation is only enough to condemn. It's not enough to save, which is why the gospel has to, has to go. And here, Pharaoh and his magicians have a witness of the works of God. They've heard the words of God and rejected them. They're reached, per se. And just like creation has a target, the works of God have a target for a witness, so does the plague. The target of this, of this plague, we, we gave you that chart to begin with, of how God systematically attacks the false gods of, of Egypt. He, he's attacking the, the, the god of the earth here, the god of the ground. It's the false god named Geb, G-E-B. And he was claiming authority over the very soil of Egypt. Strike the dust of the earth, the dust of Egypt. God's already declared His sovereignty over the water, and now He does the land. He did it in the Nile, and the frogs came out, and now He's declaring His authority over both land and seas. There's been many attempts to explain what happened here and all of the plagues, so they're nothing more than natural events. Um, one such theory is the Nile River turned red like blood because of an algae bloom that looked red. The frogs came out of the river because, uh, because of the algae and because everything in the river died and they couldn't stay there. So that's why they came out of the Nile and that's why they, they hopped all over the place. The bugs came because of the dead frogs. After the frogs died, whenever they couldn't last without water out, out of the river, and so here the bugs came. There's only one problem with that. Um, the text. 
The Bible says that these were genuine miracles. Even Pharaoh's magicians declare this is a genuine miracle. Now, you, you'll hear the word miracle used all kinds of times. Turn on the TV and you'll see all kinds of claims of, of a miracle. A miracle is a, is a direct intervention. It's a divine intervention in which God overrules His creation to display His glory. It's supernatural, meaning it's above nature. It's a specific, direct intervention by God where God overrules the, the natural system in order to bring Himself glory in, in some places, in, in some, some ways. Going back to that example of what you see on TV, um, there's not a whole lot of glory going to God in those situations. It's to the faith healer or whoever else is there. In fact, if, if, this is, if these are natural events, if there's a natural uh, explanation for what took place, it defeats the whole point. I mean... The plagues were acts to declare to Pharaoh the identity of the true God, right? I mean, if there's a natural explanation, then it proves nothing. But God did want to communicate something, and and He had a message in the plagues. Not only did this did this witness come without warning, it it, it came with a message, and that's the second. The second point, if you would, at verse 18. The magicians tried their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were lice on on man and beast. I want you to notice in verse 18, the magicians tried, but they could not. It's exactly what you need to see in that verse. The magicians attempted their satanic arts, but they were unable to mimic it. This is the first time that has happened in, in this whole system. Every other time, they were able to reproduce the same thing. And there was a message in that as well. They were able to reproduce the same thing only on a smaller scale. And, and, and the point was they, they, they couldn't take it away. They couldn't take away what God had done. They could only increase the suffering of the people. And the message to Pharaoh then was, was if you follow false gods, it was to Egypt, if you follow false gods, they can only increase your suffering. They can't take it away. They can only increase it. The message here that the magicians tried but they could not... is that their gods were limited. Satan, in particular, is limited. You understand that when it's talking about the gods of Egypt or Muhammad or Buddha or whoever it is, these are gods of all, little g, all kinds of names, but there's one person behind every single religious system in the world, and that's Satan himself. And Satan is limited. That's the whole point. They tried, but they, they could not. Satan can only go so far, is what Moses wants them to know and you to hear. 
The Bible says that Satan's works are displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. And Satan has other powers that the Bible tells us about. He has the power to rebel, Isaiah 14. He has the power to tempt, Matthew 4.1. He has the power to deceive, Revelation 20.10. He has the power to accuse, Zechariah 3.1. He has the power to hold sinners captive in their deception, 2 Timothy 2, 26. 2 Corinthians talks about lest the, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shine in. And on certain occasions, he even has the power to torment the people of God. You remember the Apostle Paul attributing his afflictions in 2 Corinthians as a thorn in the flesh? He's a worker of Satan. Job. He had a disease brought by the hand of Satan. Revelation says even imprisonment that's going to come in the, in the last days from the world system is under Satan's influence. The Egyptian Christians that we prayed for last night are the Coptics um, who were beheaded by the Islamic terrorists. Uh, they, that's just not some crazy group. That's, those individuals are, are under the influence. Of Satan. He should be under no delusion that organized evil in the world is simply a group of crazed religious men. They're under the control or the influence of the wicked one. I mean, there's only two options. Colossians says you're either in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of his dear son. Jesus said you're either of your father the devil or we say our father which art in heaven. I mean, there's not multiple options out here. There's only two. And you were born as a child of wrath. God is your creator. and You have His image, but that image is, is marred and, and you're under condemnation. Unless the gospel comes and translates you, as Colossians says, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of His dear, dear Son. These people are under the control of the, of the wicked one, just like I was, just like you were before Christ, just like you are if, if you're not a believer. That's why educating them or creating jobs or whatever other ridiculous idea that's out there is not going to stop them in any way because the issue is not just their ideology. The issue is, is their depraved heart and, and who they're influenced by. The Bible even describes Satan as the one who holds the power of death. Hebrews 2.14. Well, there's a meaning to it. God even gave Satan the power to betray his own son. And the betrayal resulted in the sufferings of Christ and death on the cross. Satan is very powerful. But his powers are limited. He is potent, but he's not omnipotent. Isn't that a good word? Everything he does, he does by the sovereign permission of the Almighty. Consider all the things the Bible says he's unable to do. Are you ready? Satan cannot create, he can only destroy. He cannot redeem, he can only be damned. He cannot love, he can only hate. He cannot be humble. He can only be proud. 
And most of all, he was unable to keep Jesus Christ in the grave. You know, what was considered Satan's greatest victory could only bring about God's salvation of his people. That's how Satan's power is limited and God is limitless. And you should always remember that. All that Satan can do, no matter how painful or defeating it seems, in the end it only accomplishes the purposes of God. And if you're a believer, you're blessing. Because while God, while Satan is limited, God is limitless. And I think that's the, the second half of the message here. And the magicians discover that. Verse 18, the magicians tried, but they could not. And it's almost like this dig here to drive the point home. So there were, were lice on man and beast. Verse 19, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They were unable... But God is more than able. He, this is utterly humiliating for the magicians. I mean, this is not easy to say. You're standing before Pharaoh, who's supposed to be deity, and you're his gaggle of high priests, and, and you can't reproduce, and then you admit that this is something beyond your, your con- control. They were unable to produce any more bugs, and they were covered with them. There's nothing they could do about it. I mean, that's the point of, so there were gnats on man and beast. It's especially degrading for, for the religious leaders of Egypt because they prided themselves on, on physical purity. A lot of religious systems do that. If you go to uh, Catholic mass or something like that, you'll see the priest just decked out in all kinds of robes and hats. And, and anywhere you go, there's, there's all these tapestries and things to distract you from, from what's really going on. They have the form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, as the Bible says. And here, the Egyptian priests prided themselves on physical purity. Before they, before they did anything, they bathed and... They shaved off all their hair, and, and here they can accomplish nothing, and they were defiled. And then they have to admit that this is the finger of God. And with those words, verse 19, this is the finger of God, you now have Pharaoh in the second plague, the deified ruler of Egypt, and the entire priesthood of their religious system acknowledging Yahweh's power. By plague three. But that's not enough to save him, is it? It's not enough to believe in God to be saved. James says the demons believe and to tremble. And many people believe in God without ever coming to him for salvation. In fact, statistically, most people... In America, I haven't seen the statistics around the world, most people say they believe in God. They believe in a higher power. They acknowledge the existence of a creator or an intelligent designer or they speak about the man upstairs. And Did you know in, if you would read the majority of your contracts in business or, or your insurance uh, 
uh, contract that you have for your home, your homeowners, it will say something like, this is null and void in the case of force majeure, which Jeff can correct in my French accent later, but it means uh, it's an act of God. If, if an act of God comes, we're not paying out. That's basically what they're saying. And, and it's still there. People even curse using God's name. I'll never forget that hilarious statement Jerry Falwell made when he said he knew Jesus was God because he never heard a man mash his finger and take Buddha's name in vain. Oh, Buddha! He never heard anybody do that. They always curse Jesus, right? What a horrible thing to do. Creator of the universe's name. And while they acknowledge all of that, Well, Pharaoh acknowledges that, the magicians acknowledge that. The one thing that they can never quite do is bring themselves to confess that Jesus is Lord. Have you ever got in a conversation with somebody about God? Use the name Jesus and watch how the conversation changes. Man, change it like that. And yet that's exactly what God requires for salvation. God doesn't merely want people to become more religious and believe that there's a higher power or that He has power. He calls us to follow Christ, and there's a difference. You see, the finger of God is attached to the, to the one who sits upon the throne of God. And you must not only believe in Him, but you must bow the knee to Him and acknowledge that through personal faith in, in Jesus Christ. He is the true God and He is the only Savior. That's why knowing that there's something out there through the works of God, which is universal, doesn't save. That's why you have to take the words of God, which is the gospel to them, because the gospel is the power of God into salvation to all who will believe. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth there is a God, you will be saved. No, it says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. I'll give you some other wonderful news. The finger of God is also connected to the heart of God. And that heart provided salvation and forgiveness to all who will come by faith, believe His words, even if He has to get our attention through His works. Well, that's not what Pharaoh did. Look at verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And don't miss this. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Doesn't say he didn't listen to Moses, listen to God. He didn't listen to to them. He it was his own religious advisors witnessing to him that these were the works of God. This is the finger of God, and he rejected even the testimony of the people he commissioned to advise him in spiritual matters. It's a pretty hard hearted person. Moses gave a witness. Aaron's miracle gave a witness. The pain of the plagues gave a witness. 
And even the men of his own religion gave a witness, and he rejected them all, even after he was touched by the, by the finger of God himself. Don't do what Pharaoh did. Don't harden your heart. Open your heart to Christ. Should you bow your heads? It's your time, opportunity in the service. You've heard the word. chance to respond sitting there thinking meditating on what God has said this is the finger of God I wonder how many times God has given you a witness how many blessings he has whispered to you through how he's used your conscience to to let you know you're not going in the right direction or even now he's he's shouting through difficulty, maybe even right now. Don't turn a deaf ear. Remember, his finger is attached to his heart. He'll not cast you aside. He'll not forsake you if you come to him. And you have two choices. You can hear his words, or you can harden your heart. The choice is before you, just as it was before Pharaoh and his magicians. Father, as we come before you, I, I just think about this quote from C.S. Lewis and how many times you. You have blessed me over and over and over. And I may give you a thanks or it may pass right on by. I think about how many times I, I found myself in sin or in a bad situation and I can go back and I can pinpoint after I've done the wrong thing, my conscience telling me, being instructed by your word. And surely, Father, I, I pay attention to you when difficulties come. I don't like them. But you're gracious whenever you bring them. I pray, Lord, that however you are getting the attention of, of all of us here, you would, you would give us soft hearts. Your spirit would work. Take your word, grant faith, work in us. We believe, help our unbelief. May we not end like Pharaoh. May we not just acknowledge your power or what you can do for us. May we acknowledge your lordship. And may your will reign on earth in our hearts as it does in heaven even now. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.